Daniel chapter 6 is where we'll be. Go ahead and stand once you uh, find it. Uh, Daniel chapter 6. And this is, we stand out of respect for God's word and reading um, it, but also sometimes just to get the blood flow. That's a good thing as well. And, uh, but really out of respect for the truth here. Daniel chapter 6, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. I think probably many people would hold that sentiment because it's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And uh, we're, we're not going to get to that part of it necessarily tonight um, because there's another truth that I want to present to you uh, this evening, but it's the lead up into it. So Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give account unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So uh, just as a reminder for those that may have not been here the last couple of times we've been in the book of Daniel, Daniel is second in command in the kingdom. The, the king, King Darius, trusts him more than anybody else. He is second in command. Um, the problem is these presidents and princes that Daniel oversees to keep accountable, they don't like the fact that a former Jewish slave is their boss. They're upset about this. They didn't like that he was keeping them accountable to manage the king's affairs honestly. They don't like the fact that he is a Jewish slave and he's over them. So they start looking into his life to see if they could trap him with anything. Verse 4, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. You know, I think about this. Had he ever made any negative comment about King Darius? Well, according to their investigations, no. I mean, that's incredible to think about. Um, had he ever mismanaged the king's money in any way? Well, according to their investigation, no. Was he ever disloyal? According to this, no. Had he ever been immoral? According to this, no. Had he ever made any unethical decisions? According to this, no. After looking and searching, they found nothing. I mean, they could have hired the best private investigators out there. They probably called Sherlock Holmes, maybe Columbo, Magnum P.I., Scooby-Doo and the gang. No, they found nothing. Nothing of, I don't know where that came from, Scooby-Doo. You were with me till I said Scooby. I was going to say Hardy, the Hardy Boys for some reason. Nancy Drew. I mean, all the great investigators in history. No, Daniel was so faithful and so consistent that they had no dirt. So what did they do? Well, we look at verse 5. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of God. They come up with a scheme to catch him doing something they know he'll be doing. The one thing that could be counted on that Daniel would do was to continue serving his God, to be faithful to his God, to pray to his God. Look at verse 6. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. 
All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the lion's den. Anybody that prays to anyone except for you goes to the lion's. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Nothing changed. I mean, I could have easily have read when he heard the decree, he went to his house, closed the windows, said 30 days, that's not a bad deal. I just won't pray. But no, he just like he'd always done at the window facing Jerusalem, three times a day as he had done a four time. And there's a great spiritual lesson here that I want to point out over the next few minutes. The, the title that I'm, I'm calling it tonight is The Real Lion's Den. The Real Lion's Den. Let's pray and ask God to bless us. Lord, we need you. I'm praying for your blessings on the reading of the word, but also on the preaching of it. Help me to make it clear. And I pray that you'd help our hearts to be open to the message that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. At this time, Daniel's an old man, and uh, he's around 85 years old. He's lived a good life. There's nothing in the entire book that mentions anything negative about Daniel. And that way, he's a lot like Joseph. If you read the story of Joseph, uh, he's a young man. He's taken captive. He's carried away from his family. He's put into a hostile environment. He's faced with temptation to compromise and yet he stands on purpose and principle and, by, and he's blessed by, by being elevated into a position of authority and a position of influence because of his stand. I mean, Daniel and Joseph, the parallels really are pretty amazing when you think about it. And think about it, most Bible characters have flaws. They have some cringy moments, don't they? I mean, we all do, but think about, I mean, those times in your life that, that, that you said something or you did something and it's still, when you think about it, it still kind of makes you cringe. I mean, we all have those moments. I do, plenty of them, but, but Daniel and Joseph, um, according to God's word, they lived lives in very tough situations and there was no dirt found. And the Bible tells us about these great men like Abraham and David and Moses and Peter, and they were certainly great men, but they all have those occasions, those moments in which they, they wish they could go back and erase some of the details that have been preserved in God's word. Daniel, he's proven it now at this point for 70 years. He's had plenty of chances to compromise. He's had plenty of chances to, to do what he wants to do. No one will say anything if he doesn't follow his God's diet, if he doesn't follow his God's commandments, and yet he still refuses to do wrong. They find no dirt on him, and it, no, it makes his enemies mad. They're not happy that they can't find something about him. Even his enemies, though, they prove the kind of man that he was. Uh, if you think about it, he has the right kind of enemies. 
You say, well, what, what do you mean by that? Well, the people that hated him hated God. If you're going to have enemies, um, then sometimes you can tell the quality of a person by the kind of people that don't like them. And, and these men, they don't love his God. They're pagan. They, they, they don't follow his God. And you can tell you're doing something right based on the kind of people that are against you. Uh, this king then makes a decree. You know, his enemies had looked for dirt and Daniel was faithful in, in so many ways and, and he was faithful in his duties. Uh, they were found no unethical actions. They found no instances in his life where he had failed to do his job. He took no shortcuts. He did things the right way. He was faithful not just in his duties, he was faithful in his character and that he, he had nothing in his, in his private life that could, have been, that could be spoken against, nothing in his public life. They found no occasion, they found no fault. Who he was in front of other people is who he was behind closed doors. He was at home, uh, who he was at home, he was also in the courts. He was faithful in his duties, his character, he's also faithful in his walk with God. See, the one thing that they discovered in looking at Daniel's life was that he consistently sought his God. He was predictable in that way. In the very best way that you could be predictable, the only thing the investigators came back saying was, this guy prays all the time. Can you imagine if that was the only report about your life? That people investigated. People are trying to find something. They're trying to find anything that they, could, that they could pin on you. And the only thing they can come back and say is he prays a lot. So they target then the one thing in Daniel's life that they knew he would not compromise on. That was his walk with God. And I'm thankful for Ashton's message tonight um, about growing in grace. And, and how and if we're going to grow in grace, then we must grow in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, our knowledge of Jesus, the more we know about him. By the way, uh, Peter started that book when he says, But grace and peace be multiplied unto you according to the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, the more that we know him, the more that we read about him, the more time we spend with him, then the grace that he bestows is multiplied and the inner peace that we have is multiplied. It abounds. I mean, there's, there is literally no better way to spend your time than getting to know Jesus Christ. Everything about it is positive. There's not one single thing about knowing Jesus that's negative. You can't spend too much time in God's word and you can't spend too much time in prayer. And Daniel certainly subscribed to that. He spent lots of time walking with his God. His enemies know, they see this going on, so they go to the king and they say, we want to make a decree that anyone who makes a petition of any God or any man, it doesn't matter, other than you for the next 30 days, they'll be thrown in the lion's den. And the king, as I mentioned the other day, he's thinking, I really am a great king. I really do deserve to be the only person people petition for the next 30 days. Let's do this. This sounds like a good idea to me. And the decree is made. Daniel's enemies, they knew he was, wasn't going to stop praying. So they actually use his integrity against him. He got in trouble because he did right. 
You know, sometimes we think that you only get in trouble if you do something wrong, but it doesn't always work that way because we're in a spiritual battle. battle where We have a dangerous enemy, and he wants nothing more than to take us down. And it's almost as if the attacks ramp up the more we do right. Have you ever experienced that in your life? When you're trying to do the right thing, that's when things get hard. When you're trying to take steps in the right direction, that, that's when things get difficult. And sometimes we think, well, I'll only get in trouble if I do something wrong. But, but I'm telling you, I'm, I mean, I've been in plenty of trouble for doing wrong in my life. But I've also been in trouble plenty of times just trying to do right. That's when the, thing, the attacks get ramped up. And you think, well, I'm not sure I, I subscribe to that. Well, if you don't believe that, ask Job. Job was doing right. Job was that man of upright character. Uh, the Bible says perfect, but that doesn't mean sinless. That just simply means upright. He was of the best character. Ask Job if you only get in trouble when you're doing wrong. Ask somebody like Joseph. Who, who uh, in the, New or the Old Testament in Genesis 37, when, when Potiphar's wife came to him, um, just about any other man in that situation would have submitted to the temptation and given in. And here's a young man just trying to do right and just trying to please his God. Which, by the way, young people, it is possible to do right when everyone else would fail. And here's Daniel and Joseph and these kind of guys, and they're doing right. And if you think you only get in trouble when you do wrong, ask those guys. If you think that you only get in trouble doing wrong, ask Jesus Christ. Who never did anything wrong. He never sinned. There was nothing in his life. He was above reproach. And even Daniel, we're not told about Daniel, uh, about his sins, but we know that he was a sinner. We know that Joseph was a sinner. We know that Job was a sinner. And even though the Bible doesn't record it, we know they were. But here's Jesus Christ, who'd never done anything wrong. He had always done right. He had always obeyed his father. He spent just the right amount of time in prayer. He did all, always, he always did the right thing in every situation. And ask him if you only get in trouble when you do wrong. Because Jesus gave up his life to his enemies because he did right. They come, so Joseph's enemies come, I'm sorry, Daniel's enemies come up with a plan. And in this plan, we see just how committed Daniel is to his walk with God. And I want you to just pay attention to that thought, how committed he was to his walk with God. He makes his commitment known. See, what would you do if you found out you were the target of an unfair campaign that is simply out to take you down? If you wake up with a bullseye painted on your forehead, you likely would try to scrub it off. You would probably say, I, I don't want to draw undue attention to myself. Uh, you, but your response uh, to being targeted makes a statement about your integrity. So you look at what Daniel did in verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he closed them and huddled in fear. No, that's not what it says. No, he kneeled down upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Just like he'd always done, he went to his house, he opened his windows toward Jerusalem, he knelt down and he prayed three times a day, just like always. See, for a person with integrity, difficulties won't stop you from your walk with God. 
No, in fact, the difficulties will drive you closer to your God. And if you find him, if you find that the difficulties typically mean that you stop reading your Bible, and if you find that the challenges of life typically mean that you stop praying or that you just suddenly stop going to church, it may be a matter of personal character. And we may not be as committed to our God as we thought because when someone is truly committed to their walk with God, the, down, the, the difficulties will not keep them from walking with God. See, there's a phrase that I want to focus on in, in this response here. It says, as he did aforetime. As he did aforetime. In, in other words, just like always. I mean, think about what's literally happening here. Happening here. The day before this decree, I'm just going to give you a scenario, okay? Daniel wakes up at 6 a.m., let's say. There are sixes in the morning, by the way, for some of you. <laughs> Daniel gets up at 6 a.m., he goes to his window, opens it, looks toward Jerusalem, and prays. Around noon, he goes to his window, opens it, and prays. Around 6 p.m. that night, um, you know, the weather is getting nicer, the sun's going down, it's cooling off. He goes to his window, he opens it, and he prays. It's a habit he's been doing for years and years, decades even. Like clockwork, let's just say that his daily routine is 6 a.m., pray at the window. Noon, pray at the window. 6 p.m., pray at the window. Maybe he started it as a teenager when he was carried away into Babylon. And he knew, if I don't stay close to my God, I'm going to compromise. Like all of these guys around me, I must do something every day to keep myself close to God. So his daily routine is 6 a.m., go to the window, look toward Jerusalem, pray. Noon, go to the window, look toward Jerusalem, pray. 6 p.m., go to the window, open it, look toward Jerusalem, pray. On Monday, guess what he was doing? On Monday at 6 a.m. At mon Monday at noon, Monday at 6, go into his window and pray. On Tuesday, guess what he was doing at 6 a.m.? You guessed it. Okay, it's getting predictable, isn't it? A little bit, we might say a little bit boring, but in this case, predictable is a good thing. Tuesday, 6 a.m., noon, 6 p.m. Wednesday, 6 a.m., noon, 6 p.m. Thursday, 6 a.m., noon, 6 p.m. Friday, 6 a.m., noon, 6 p.m. Saturday, 6 a.m., noon, 6 p.m. Sunday, 6 a.m., noon, 6 p.m. You say, Pastor, you are getting really repetitive. I'm just telling you what Daniel did every day. They can count on it like clockwork. And you just say, you say, well, that's just too much prayer. And, and I'm just too busy uh, for, with, for that kind of a prayer life. It's just too consistent. It's too uh, repetitive. It's too redundant. And I just want to say, be careful of saying that you're too busy to do something like that. Um, because that famous quote on prayer says, you can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Meaning that, that if you, you can try all you want to do something, but you can't do anything until you pray. You, that is the, the first, the starting point for all that you do for God. Listen, you're not too busy to pray. You can't afford not to pray. And these three truths about Daniel that I want to look at tonight. This, Daniel was busy, but he was not too busy to pray. How many times do we say, I just don't have time? You know, Daniel served under pagan kings 
and, and, and he was in high demand positions. They didn't care about his devotional life. These kings did not care. When he was a young man and he was brought into, into Babylon and tr being trained in Babylonian schools, uh, he, they didn't care if he had time for his personal devotions. But we know, based on his testimony as an old man, that this was something he did from the time he was likely very young. Three times a day. Nebuchadnezzar didn't care. When he elevated Daniel into a position of authority and leadership, he didn't care about him having personal time to pray. He was needed in the courts. And you know that Daniel was a busy person. You know that they kept him busy in the courts and in the government leadership. But he was not too busy to pray. As an 85-year-old man, he's placed in charge of 122 other people. These two other presidents and these 120 princes around the country. And yet he was not too busy to pray. See, we know that because his enemies watched him do it every day. They watched him every day, 6 a.m. You know, the, the, the PIs, the private investigators, they're waiting outside his window. First day, they're like, okay, 6 a.m., take a note. He prayed. Noon, take a note. He prayed again. 6 p.m., Take a note, he prayed again. Next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. You know, so if we're living lives too busy to pray, then we're too busy. But here's a, here's a man who was likely as busy as any of us are. But he prioritizes his time with God because he knows he can't afford not to. See, the one thing that can't be compromised is our walk with God. Daniel was busy, but he was not too busy to pray. Another truth here, Daniel was private, but he did not hide his walk with God. Amen. See, Darius clearly, he doesn't know what Daniel's up to in his private time. I don't know that he even cares. Uh, or If he did, he would never assign the decree. Because Darius clearly um, would, would not want to lose Daniel, but Daniel's enemy knew about his prayer life. In other words, Daniel didn't pray now listen, he didn't pray to be seen of men, but he also didn't not pray so that nobody would see him. Now, he didn't pray to be seen of men. We know if there was anybody with integrity doing things the right way, it was Daniel. He wasn't praying to be seen of men, but he also was not afraid to be seen praying. And it happened so much that they were aware of it. Listen, your walk with God, it is a private matter. And, and we're in our country, in our culture, uh, religion is becoming very private. People don't want to really want to talk about it. Nobody wants to really kind of open up about it. Uh, I mean, you can even see it in many ways. It may be different parts of the country. It's a little bit different. Uh, even maybe up here, there's a, a privacy, a protection of my walk with God. And my religion is my business. And there's not really anybody else whose business it is. And, and your walk with God, it is certainly a private matter. But if you're genuinely committed to God you won't be able to hide your commitment to God. It's kind of like what Ashton was talking about earlier. Uh, you, people ought to know that you're a Christian without you even having to say anything. And it seems as if we're getting more and more private about our spirituality, almost as if it's maybe not really the trendy thing to be Christian anymore. Uh, and many people just keep it to themselves. No, I'm not saying to be odious about your religion, about your walk with God, but the people around you that are around you enough should be able to tell that you're a Christian simply because if it's real, you won't be able to hide it. 
And you can be a private person, but if you genuinely walk with God, you will not be able to hide its impact on your life. So Daniel was busy, but he wasn't too busy to pray. And Daniel was private, but he did not hide his walk with God. And third, Daniel was targeted, but he valued his, he, he valued, no, I'm sorry, he did not value his life over his relationship with God. Meaning that his relationship with God was more important to him than potentially his own life. Three times a day, every day. I mean, let's just say it was, maybe let's just say it was 70 years of that. I mean, I know probably not every day did he do it. And, and there were times in his life where he maybe didn't have the freedom to do it. But his time in Babylon, if it was around 70 years, if you think about it, three times every day for 70 years, that's over 76,000 times in prayer. They say it takes 10 hours, or sorry, 10,000 hours to master something, to master a, a musical instrument or some kind of a, um, of a certain skill. And I think it's safe to say that if that's true, that Daniel had mastered the habit of prayer. And I would say that it was so built into his character. You might say that Daniel, you know, Daniel could have thought, I've prayed enough these 70 years. When the decree came out, Daniel could have said, you know what, for 70 years I've prayed. And that's yeah, 76,000 times in prayer. He was really good at math, I imagine. Um, 76,000 times of prayer, 70 years as a habit of prayer, this decree comes through. And don't you think that, that, I, that he could have justified it and said, I've prayed enough. What's 30 days? What difference does it make if for the next 30 days I just take the time off until the danger passes? I'm just, I'll pick right back up where I started. Listen, who could blame him if he did that? I mean, he prayed more than any of us. He could afford a few days off, but not in his mind. You see, he saw the prayer uh, at more than, than, he saw the value in prayer more than he saw the value of his own life. And he had learned that what God is capable of doing when he prayed, and he wasn't willing to trade that even for his life. He had seen how God gave him insight into dreams and writings, and he wasn't willing to forfeit that knowledge just to protect himself for a month. He had felt the peace and the contentment that comes when you truly walk with God. And he wasn't willing to take a break from that, even at the risk of his own life. You see, here's the thing. When you have walked with God, listen, when you have walked with God, you don't view it as expendable after you've done it. No, you view it as essential because you've seen what it can do. You, when you walk with God, you don't view it as expendable after you've done it. You view it as essential because you have seen what it can do. In other words, Daniel's years of obedience made it easier for him when things got really hard. It was so entrenched in his life, he didn't even think about stopping it. Years of obedience that become habit will be the one thing that you have to carry you through the difficult times of your life. See, if you're not in the habit of walking with God when the days are easy, what makes you think that you'll survive when the days get hard? The best time to establish your walk with God is when the days are easy. But see, when the days are easy, it's not urgent for us. We think, well, I can handle it. But you don't know what tomorrow holds. 
And I would submit to you that the real lion's den was not a room with, uh, with a full of giant man-eating lions. You say, well, that is a lion's den. Okay, yes, but that's not the lion's den where Daniel found victory. See, I would submit to you that the real lion's den was at 6 a.m. every morning. When Daniel had to choose whether or not to get himself out of bed and spend time with his God. The real lion's den was at lunch every day when all the other guys were lounging around and hanging out and talking about filthy things. And Daniel had to choose whether or not he would pray or be embarrassed because of the ridicule. No, the real lion's den was when he was tired and he was done with the day and he just wanted to go to bed. But he had to choose whether or not he'd go to bed or go to the window. See, the most difficult lion's den that we face is not when we're thrown into it. It's the days and weeks and years leading up to that time when we spend time with God building our character and preparing us for that test. See, you don't know what tomorrow holds. And we found that out as a church even lately. You have no idea. And your literal lion's den may be around the corner. Your, your literal lion's den may, may happen in your life tomorrow or in the next couple of weeks. And listen, your response in that moment, your faith to endure when it all falls apart and your faith to endure when, it, when all those things come at you all at once, it will be directly linked to how you handle the real lion's den every single day. When you wake up early to walk with God, even when you're tired, that's the real lion's den. And when you're tempted to sin, but you run away because you know it wouldn't please the Lord, that's the real lion's den. And when you pray over your food in the break room or in the cafeteria, and when you know that others are watching and probably snickering about it, that's the real lion's den. When you decide on a Wednesday night, even though you're tired and it's been a long week, that you're going to come and you're going to spend time in God's house to encourage God's people, that's the lion's den. When you wake up on a Sunday morning and your alarm clock feels like it came way too soon and then it's time for men's prayer meeting and you're trying to decide if you're going to go or not, that's the real lion's den. What I'm saying is that those kinds of decisions will prepare you for when the true literal lion's den actually shows up at your door. See, winning in those lion's dens will be the difference maker when the literal lion's den shows up. See, how you manage the small moments will determine your victories in the big ones. How you manage the small moments will determine your victories in the big ones. And we're, we're going to see next time the actual event of that literal lion's den. But for tonight, I know it's simple and it's not real long. It's a little longer than Ashton's. But no, the real lion's den it will take place in bedrooms tomorrow morning. When your alarm goes off tomorrow morning, that's where, that's where the victory is actually decided. Uh, it, the real lion's den is taking place um, on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights when you're deciding how committed you really are. The real lion's den is, is being decided if you're going to, to train your child in the moment or, or just kind of let it happen, how it's going to just let them be who they are no, the real lion's den is when you take the time to train a child rather than wait till they're 16 and you can't really do much to stop them at that point. 
The real lion's den, listen, comes in the moment when you're deciding whether or not to spend that money or save it because you're trying to do things for God and you know if you're in debt, you can't. Listen, I'm just telling you, the small moments, the decisions, the management of the small moments determines your victories in the big ones. And a lot of times, you know, we say, well, the lion's den's coming. I'm going to be ready for it. Well, we can't be ready for it if we can't be disciplined in the small moments. So I'm just asking tonight, how are you handling the lion's den daily? The daily choices to be disciplined, the daily choices to be faithful to walk with God, because we don't know when the literal lion's den shows up. It could be tomorrow, it could be next week or next month or next year. You don't know, but you need to prepare as if it's coming. And don't wait till it comes to decide whether or not you're going to be committed to God. Decide tomorrow morning. Decide on Sunday. Decide on Sunday night. We have churches, church in the evenings too, by the way. Decide on Wednesday night. Uh, decide when, 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 when the days are easy, the decision in the lion's den is a lot easier and a lot simpler than when than the real literal lion's den shows up. Listen, those, are gonna, those decisions are going to be the difference when the big tests actually come. And I'm just asking, if, if the, your literal lion's den, the big one, if it's coming, how will how, the way that you're treating the small decisions today, I mean, if, what do they point to success or failure in that moment for you? And I would say, let's train our character when the days are easy. So when the days get hard, we are ready for it. I'm telling you, if you think about it, the fact that Daniel was prepared for the lion's den allowed some pretty amazing things to happen. God received some incredible glory. Darius uh, was, was convinced in some ways of, of a God that he didn't know before because he saw this miracle. And Daniel's testimony was elevated because of it. And I'm just wondering how much we miss because we fail when the difficult times really come. That we could have prepared for those if we had just been disciplined in the small things. See, how you manage the small moments will determine your victories in the big ones. That's a good lesson for us from Daniel's life. Let's stand together. I'm going to take some time in prayer tonight. I want to encourage you to think about the daily discipline decisions that you make for the Lord. Are they consistent enough now to be preparing you for the bigger moments that are coming? Because you can guarantee they're coming. Every one of us face, face those times in our lives where we think, boy, I'm not going to be able to survive this. I'm telling you, you are determining your success or failure in those times, in the moments that you make every single day. Lord, help us tonight just to be submissive. I know it's a, it's a different kind of message, a very specific thought, and yet one that I think we all need. Lord, our walk with God is not, it, it is not expendable. It is essential. And very often we allow the busyness of life or the embarrassment of being seen uh, or maybe of standing alone and standing out where we let those things keep us from a walk with you. But Lord, um, really we can't, we can't view our walk with God as expendable. It's essential to when the big moment comes. We must walk with you if we're expected to remain standing. So I'm asking you, Lord, help us to be disciplined in our lives every day 
so that when the big moments come, we're ready to stand in front of them. Lord, we need your help. We want to grow. We want to walk with you. We, we don't want to be too busy for prayer. We don't want to be embarrassed about walking with you. God, help us to be Christians that are truly committed on a daily basis to our relationship with you. God, help us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.